Well, today, as I said, we'll be looking at Psalm 115 and doing things a little differently today. I'm not going to read the whole psalm first, but I'm going to read it section by section. We'll be dividing it up into four sections. But by way of introduction, this psalm is both a prayer to God. We don't know who wrote it, but it's a prayer to God and an exhortation. It's a prayer for God to be glorified and for his people to be delivered. In fact, that he would be glorified through their deliverance. It's also an exhortation for God's people to fear the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to praise him. Uh, So, we don't know the exact circumstances that this psalm was written. Some people think it was when the, uh, right before the exile or during uh, the time when Israel, God's people, were in exile. Whatever the case, it's clear that it was, during, it was written during a time of national difficulty. The chosen people of God were being oppressed by the nations around them. And, and that was a frequent thing. Today, this psalm would apply to us, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to his people, uh, wherever and whenever they're under persecution uh, from the ungodly. And today, that and in history, that has often taken place. Uh, the persecution comes from the governments of various nations. Well, in this psalm, God's people are led not so much to pour out their complaint to God. The focus is not on the complaint, uh, but on putting our confidence in God. And there's nothing wrong with pouring out our hearts to God and, and, and praying and, and putting our complaint before Him, as long as we do so with respect and with faith. Uh, but whenever we do pray, whenever we put our petitions before Him, we need to do so with confidence, a confident faith, that knows and believes and trusts that God can and will bring deliverance and give victory to his people. But in particular, the, the main focus of this psalm is, so that, is, that a, is a prayer for God's glory. It's to seek God's glory. It's a prayer that God would glorify his own name. Now, if you and I could go back and replay our prayers during the past week... Um, First of all, I wonder how how many minutes of prayer would there be? <laughs> Maybe not as many as we would like. Maybe more than we think. Who knows? Because uh, prayer is often going on in our minds and our hearts without sometimes without us thinking about it. But uh, if we could listen to our prayers, I wonder if we would hear any prayers, any requests for God to glorify His name. And to enable us to glorify him. Is that a focus of our prayer life? Well, since we know that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him, then it ought to be the chief end of our prayer life uh, that we pray that God would glorify himself. So as we study this psalm, as, as I said, we'll break it down into four sections dealing with four aspects of, uh, of, give, of God giving glory uh, to himself or us giving glory to him. And first of all, we'll look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 115. So I'll read those verses now where we're taught to give glory to God, not to ourselves. 
Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Uh, By nature, we seek our own glory and not God's. James 4 and verse 3 talking about prayer it says you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure so what we see is often our prayer the very prayers of believers are self-centered uh, uh, and so of course they should be the opposite of that our prayer should be god-centered they should be centered on the glory of God and and James says that God doesn't answer self-centered prayers. Uh, you know, you ask and don't receive because you're praying with a focus on yourself. Well, what kind of prayer will God answer? God will answer a prayer that is focused on God's honor and glory. When we pray that God's name will be glorified. We can be sure God will answer that prayer, but he will also in the process meet our needs. And so the psalmist, whoever he is, is in the psalm desires that all glory, all honor be given to Jehovah. This is the great name Yahweh uh, in Hebrew, the great I am. You and I are, we're undeserving sinners. We have no merit of our own. We have no, no claim on the Lord, we have nothing to boast in except our, our sin, uh, and of course the Lord. And we often, you know, we often make a distinction in our prayers between praise and petition. And we, we look at praise, well, that's when we're, you know, wanting to, to glorify the Lord. Petitions, well, that's for us. But I think we need to rethink that, uh, that, that both praise and our petitions need to have God's glory in view. Um, Lord, give us this day our daily bread if it will glorify your name. And Lord, give us this day our daily bread in order that your name might be glorified in the meeting of my needs. Lord, hear my prayer for deliverance, but only if it will bring glory or so that it would be uh, glorifying to your name. Well, verse 1 goes on to say, To your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Uh, And and the word mercy is a wonderful word. And and in the Hebrew, it it really means steadfast love, covenant faithfulness. And so when we ask for deliverance when we're in trouble, what are we asking? We're asking God to remember his covenant. He said, I will be your God. You be my people. I will be your God. And so let's call on the Lord to remember his covenant. Lord, bring glory to your name by remembering the very covenant you have established, the covenant mercy toward your people. And of course, when God answers the prayer, we also give him glory. We give him thanks and praise uh, for hearing and answering our prayers. Uh, and, And I was reminded, and someone brought this up in Sunday school this morning, of Shakespeare's account of Henry V and the Battle of Agincourt against great odds, overwhelming numbers. British soldiers won a massive victory over the French. 
And after the, ba- the battle, uh, they, they began to sing in Latin, uh, you know, the phrase, non nobis domine, non nobis domine. It's from Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory. Uh, the French had way more numbers than the British. Uh, and so they gave glory to God. They knew that that was God who gave them the victory. They understood, as King David said long ago, that the Lord does not save by sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord's. So the battle is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. The praise, the glory should be His. And the psalmist also asked God to glorify Him because of your truth. Well, uh, that word truth can also be translated faithfulness. But the idea is that God says something, uh, He means it, and He will do what He said. And he had promised that he would hear and answer them when they called. And if God, uh, you know, if they called on God and he didn't answer, he didn't come through uh, for them as he promised, then, then God's truth might be called into question by these, the Gentiles, by the nations around them. And so verse 2 of our psalm says, why should the Gentiles say, you know, where's, your, where's their God? Uh, if God doesn't come to, to their aid, uh, the, the Gentile nations can blaspheme God. Uh, so God, what, what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, your glory is at stake. Why should they say these things about you? Show them who you are. Show them uh, that you are a God of glory and a God of truth uh, who is true to his word. Why should the uh, boast of pagan nations continue? Well, today, you know, that Christianity and Christians are uh, ridiculed. Uh, the Christian faith is condemned. Uh, you know, right is declared to be wrong today. Uh, and God's word is mocked. Wickedness is flaunted before us. The church of Jesus Christ is in decline, uh, appears uh, to be in a weak state. Uh, what should our prayer be? Lord, will you not glorify your name? Will you not stop the mouths of the wicked? who mock you and make sport of your name, will you not bring glory to yourself? Not to us, not to us, Lord, but to your name, give glory. So we pray for revival. We pray for great awakening. We pray for church growth. Why? Um, If it's not for God's glory, then we pray amiss. Uh, You know, God made us. Remember this. God created us for his glory. He created all things for his glory. Uh, Tertullian, the early church father, said that when God created the world, he did so for the embellishment of his majesty. You and I created in the image of God, which is an incredible thought, an image, a reflection of God. What are we to reflect? We are to reflect the glory of God. We are to pray for revival, pray for growth, pray for the lost to be saved, pray that the blasphemy of the wicked would be silenced. But let's remember that the glory of God is the chief end in all this and should be also the main focus of our prayers. And why is God's glory to be our chief end? Because God's glory is God's chief end. God uh, does all things for his own glory. Uh, Dutch theologian Herman Bovink said, The glory of God is the final goal of all God's works. It should be 
the aim of our praying. Well, is the glory of God of any concern to you this morning? I've got other concerns. Uh, Yes, you do. Yes, I do. But I really have this one concern. I should have this one concern. Uh, If I know the Lord, uh, to see God's name honored, to see His name glorified. In other words, saints of God throughout the history of the church, from the very beginning in in the first century until today, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and desire His glory would rather see God glorified than their own lives be preserved. Uh, we, we look at Revelation 12 where it says that they overcame Him. These are the martyrs. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. You know, these early Christians were called... Just bow before Caesar, confess Caesar as Lord, throw a little bit of incense uh, into the fire, and you'll live. Just, just do it. You don't have to even mean it. Just do it. But the early Christians couldn't do that. They couldn't deny their Lord. They could only say Christ is Lord. And so they, they, if they had been willing to go along, uh, they, they could have saved their lives. But they couldn't do that. Because the honor and glory of God and of Jesus Christ was their greatest concern. Now, when they when they were when they were put to death for their faith, for their faith in Christ and the refusal uh, to worship any other god, uh, it, it, you might think, oh, they lost, they lost out, didn't they? Hmm. Well, John Gill says, well, Satan would have conquered them, but dying in the cause of Christ and for it. They got the victory over him. You see, when we, when we die for Christ, when we die to self, not even having to physically die, but dying to self, that may include literally dying for him, but it is through that that we find um, the victory. Because when God's glory becomes our chief end in our prayers and in our lives, then we'll gain victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. If our own selfish ends become our our aim, uh, don't be surprised if you don't get victory over sin in your life. But let God's glory be your aim, and you will. But secondly, let's move on now to verses 3 through 8. And and the first point was the longest, so hang in there with me. Uh, And the second point is give glory to God, not to idols. Verse 3, but our God is is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through the throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. God created us in his image, as I said, and he made us to worship him. He made us. uh, He created us so that we would worship him, the creator. Uh, But we know what sin does. Sin causes us to rebel against our maker. We turn away from the true and living God. And what do we do? We don't cease to worship. 
when we stop worshiping the true God, we put a false God. We put something else. We worship something else in this place. Every human being on earth is worshiping something. And, uh, and, and it's true. In Romans chapter 1, it says that men exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. You have the creator on one side, the true and living God, and you have the creature on the other. Any created thing or anything that, that man might create. And so what we see in this psalm, and particularly in verses 3 to 8, is this contrast between the true and living God and the, 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 the idols, the things that men have made. Well, the Gentiles say this. They say, where is your God? Well, verse 3 tells us exactly where he is. He is, and it tells us what he does. It says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The true God is exactly where he ought to be. He is in heaven, enthroned above all things. That's what that signifies. It signifies uh, that God is above all his creation, above all earthly things. He's high and lifted up. Psalm thirty-three, fourteen says, From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. God is looking. With his eyes, he sees. And some have questioned whether God's really concerned about what goes on in this world. You know, the deists, uh, uh, you know, there were deists like Thomas Jefferson, I believe, was a deist. But the deist said, that, well, God made the world and he just left it alone to, to you know, put it in motion. And uh, he doesn't really intervene. You know, we just do whatever we choose to do. And he leaves us alone. But, you know, Psalm 14, verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. God is active in his world, and he's actively looking at who is seeking him, genuinely, and who is not. Uh, and he's examining our lives either to reward or to judge accordingly. God does not leave this world alone. He is sovereign. He does Whatever he pleases. Ephesians speaks of uh, God, you know, and the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We know that he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass, and by his providence he brings to pass what he has ordained. I like the Heidelberg Catechism, how it defines providence as the almighty and everywhere present power of God by which he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that all things in fact come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. God does whatsoever he pleases. He rules over all things. Well, he's omnipotent. He has all power. He is free. Uh, there is nothing, no one can restrict him from doing what he chooses to do. Uh, he is, our God is in heaven. The, the, the idols are of the earth. They're made of silver and gold, the work of men's hands. But God is free. He fulfills his plans and does all his holy will. What can idols do? Well, the answer is nothing, because they are nothing. Uh, they can't speak. They can't hear. They, they, they can't smell or touch. They, they have feet. 
but they can't walk with those feet. Um, by way of contrast, Jehovah is the living God. He alone is able to, to hear. God hears our prayers. He hears what we say, what we think. He sees, he, he speaks, he acts on behalf of his people. God is a God of action. He does things. But idolatry is so foolish, it says in verse 8, that those who make them uh, are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Uh, how foolish to do that. Well, of course, today our idols are, are different in terms of, uh, you know, uh, we, we simply worship. Uh, we worship other people. We worship celebrities. Uh, we worship money, power, sports, entertainment, careers. Pleasure. Uh, ultimately, idolatry is the worship of self. Uh, it's, you know, we don't want to worship the God who made us. We want to worship what He made. And, uh, you know, we didn't create ourselves. And the gods we fashioned certainly are, are not worthy of anything. Isaiah, we need to remember what Isaiah said in 42 8. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. And so God, in contrast to idols, uh, God is a living, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable spirit who made the heavens and the earth, who rules all that he has made. He's the living God. We can be thankful that God, uh, that he speaks, he reveals himself to us in his word so that we might know him, that we might worship him, that we might glorify him. Interesting commentary by Spurgeon, who C.H. Spurgeon, Baptist preacher in London, and he wrote this commentary on the Psalms well over a hundred years ago. And he gives the following insight as to what might happen if we start, if if in his nation, England at the time, but it's true of any nation, uh, that when we stop worshiping the true God and begin to worship idols. Uh, created things, what, what will happen uh, to our nation? He said we be, may possibly witness some form of socialism similar to that which is so sadly spreading in Germany. A, a repetition of the evils which in former ages had befallen nations which refused the living God and set up gods of their own. Well, we, we see in history socialism and, and communism, the, the, these tyrannical uh, governments come in when a nation turns away from the true God and then government becomes God. Go to communist China today and they are rewriting the Bible and instead of praise to God, they're saying praise for the communist party. They're, they're literally rewriting scripture and saying you have to read this in your services. Would you like to see socialism thwarted in our own nation? There's a, there's always been a, a move, even from earlier times in our country, uh, to to promote communism, to promote socialism, uh, to to promote statism. Do you want to see socialism thwarted in our own nation? Then begin to glorify God and encourage others to do so. Thirdly, we'll look at verses 9 through 11. And here we're taught to give glory to God by trusting in him. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. 
He's their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Well, God's people are called to put their trust in the Lord because he's the only one that can actually help them and protect them. He's our, he's our help and our shield. Now, the pagans would offer their sacrifices to uh, to their idols, thinking that somehow if they did, that, you know, he would bless their crops, that he would prevent disaster, that the idols would prevent disasters from coming on them, and, and in superstitious fear, they uh, they offered their worship to the idols. But these lifeless gods, of course, could never do anything for them. Only the living God can act and do things for you. Only Jehovah has the power to provide and protect. Uh, The Bible says that God, it's God who gives the power to gain wealth. Um, and, And so we could go on and on that all things, all that we need are provided by the Lord. Now, he does that through our work often, but uh, and sometimes through the protection of a law enforcement or, or from a military might protect a nation, but it's God who alone can provide and protect us. Uh, and the same is true spiritually, of course. Uh, you and I are subject to sin and to evil. And what can protect us from that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ alone uh, is worthy of our trust for eternal help and salvation. He alone can save us. Well, and think about this. Our own works and deeds are just as worthless as idols that pagans make. And here's where it's we see in, in various churches like the Roman Catholic Church where uh, instead of trusting in, 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 in idols, and yet they, they also make these uh, statues of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and others and tell people to worship these, but, but what they also do is they tell us that works must be added to faith for salvation. And so they're trusting in works. Well, it's, you might as well trust in an idol to save you if you're going to add any works uh, to the equation. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, rightly the original version anyway, rightly groups papists, Roman Catholics, with, quote, other idolaters. The Roman Catholic Church is idolatrous, and so is the Eastern Orthodox Church. And I looked this up. You know, they, they make their icons, their images of Jesus and others, the saints, and they, and they pray to God using these icons. Uh, and... They say, officially, they say, well, icons are not idols. Uh, And I just want to laugh at that. You know, it's a distinction without a difference. Of course they're idols. Uh, They're the work of men's hands, and and, and you're not to bring them into worship. And so what we're taught in verses 9 through 11 is to trust God alone, to fear him alone. Uh, to trust in him means to rely on him for security, for safety, both here and now and in eternity. Where's your security? Um, you know, again, those who leave God as their security, they, they tend to turn to government uh, for their security. But we need not social security. <laughs> we need divine security. Uh, God does for us, you see, what we cannot do 
for ourselves. He, he saves our souls. He meets our earthly needs. He, so we put our confidence in him. Uh, faith, in fact, faith and trust glorifies God. When Jesus was on the earth and he saw someone with faith, with great faith, uh, he was particularly um, uh, concerned that, that this be pointed out and, and held up as an example of what pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but by faith we honor him, we glorify him. And so to trust in God, what is it? But to give him glory as the one who's willing and able to do for us and supply our every need. So I would ask you a question today. Are you in trouble? Do you have needs today? Uh, what should you do? Well, put your full trust in God for those needs. Uh, Psalm 50:15, and I love this verse, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. But there's one more thing that you should do, and you shall glorify me. Call upon me in the day of trouble, but do so in the end. I'll deliver you so that you would glorify me. So trust in the Lord, trust in his word, trust in his son, Jesus Christ, trust in his promises. God does not help those who help themselves. He helps those who have no other help but in him. That's what it means to have confidence in the Lord. What? Lastly, we move to the last section, verses 12 to 18. And from these verses, we're taught to give glory to God from whom all blessings flow. Verse 12, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth is given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Go back to verse 12. It says, the Lord has been mindful of us. What a wonderful thing to think uh, that... If you're a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ by faith, God is mindful of you. You're always on his mind. Never off his mind. And he's been mindful of us in the past. And, that, and, and so we can be confident that he will remember us in the future. How has the Lord been mindful of us? Well, look at all the blessings that he has brought in your life. Um, he will bless us, verse 12 says. He will bless the house of Israel. God is the source of all the blessings that you have or ever will have. And he will never run out of blessings for his people, for those who fear him, as verse 13 says. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's the second time now the psalmist has, has mentioned those who fear the Lord. It means to reverence, to worship, to honor, to glorify the Lord, to live, a person who fears the Lord is one who lives for the glory of God. And God loves to bless those whose heart is set on his glory. He knows he can give good things to those who want to give him glory. And we could go on and on about the many ways in verses 12 to 16 that God blesses us. 
But the question we need to ask is why? Why does he bless us so richly, either materially or spiritually? It's because he desires in return thanksgiving and praise. He desires and deserves our praise. So um, verse 17 says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. And the implication is if you're living, if you're breathing, and if God is, and if and if you are, God is blessing you. Uh, then you should be praising. Now, of course, the soul lives on, and we will praise God. You know, as as uh, disembodied souls in the intermediate state, the soul doesn't die. But he's talking about here in this life. You know, a dead body does not praise God, uh, and and at death we're no longer to offer that praise. And so we need to praise him now while we're living. Uh, and to praise God in heaven will be a wonderful thing. Uh, it'll be a lot easier because we'll do it without any hindrance of sin. So to praise God here and to give him glory here and now is a lot more difficult. And, and so I think that the praise we offer now in the midst of our trials and troubles and sin that somehow I think that that glorifies him in a way that, that doesn't happen in heaven. Um, it's a unique way. It's just like witnessing. You can't do that in heaven. And to glorify and praise God in the midst of a fallen world and your own sinful tendencies and so on is um, it's something that honors him. So praise him while you live and think about all the blessings he's given you. It'll be a lot easier to praise him when instead of counting up all the things that are against you instead of complaining about all the problems and the difficulties you face start start counting the blessings get your mind off of those uh, things that you worry about and give thanks well verse 18 closes this psalm but we will bless the lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the lord so the the world around us is mocking god is forgetting God. They're mocking us as believers. But what is our response? Our response is not to get perturbed, not to get angry and curse the wicked, but our response is to begin to honor and glorify and praise the Lord all the more because our God deserves our praise. He's merciful and true. He's sovereign. He does whatever He pleases. He's worthy of our trust and our faith and our fear. He's the God from whom every blessing flows. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The truth is that God is glorified in the things that he does for us. And he loves us. He wants to give us good things. He's, a, he's our Heavenly Father. But he wants, above all that, to receive glory from these things that he does for us. You know, the idols of the world are... They're deaf, they're dumb, they're blind, they're immobile. But God's the opposite of that. He hears our prayers. He comes to our aid. He came down from heaven to redeem our souls. And he will continue to draw near to those who draw near to him. So he speaks. And the question is, are we listening? We've got a lot to look forward to. We look forward to blessing the Lord now and forevermore.
as the psalmist said. So, so let that let this be our watchword this this coming week and, and, and in our lives. Non nobis domine, non nobis domine. That's Latin. We don't know that, but we know the English. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us. Twice it has to be repeated because we so much love our own glory. Not unto us, Lord, but unto Thy name be the glory. Let us pray.